Well, good morning. It's, uh, it's great to be back in Light Life said Hostel. Uh, we've missed you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I feel like saying he's behind you. <laughs> yeah, there really is no place like home. I don't know whoever first said that, but, uh, but it's true. There is no place like home. And uh, it's good to be home. Last week we were in Atlanta, and uh, it was quite an experience at a church called North Point. And so we travelled down the dual carriageway and get off the bus, and there were two policemen in the road. Now, the reason that there are two policemen in the road is because they need to direct traffic, because there's about 5,000 people exiting the 9 o'clock service, and there's about 5,000 people coming in, to the uh, 11 o'clock service. And so we, uh, we went in, walked through this car park, about eight times the size of Asda car park, and about ten uh, Dan Hazeltons um, <laughs> in the car park, and a lovely T-shirt saying, I'm glad you're here. And that was one of the best things that we ever saw in America in any of the churches were those T-shirts. Because basically they said, I'm glad you're here. It was a wonderful message to a guest. And uh, so we, we went in, and uh, two auditoriums live linked together. We were in an auditorium with about 2,300 people in it. And uh, it was an amazing service. Andrew, Andy Stanley was the pastor there, brilliant teacher. And uh, it was a good experience. And we've been in seven different churches throughout America, And I can say that every single one of them was a great church. And every single one of them had strengths, and every single one of them had weaknesses, just like us. Every single one of them was unique, just like us. Our favorite was Times Square Church. Times Square Church was planted by David Wilkerson. Many of you remember it many years ago, the book, The Cross and the Switchblade. Uh, that was a book that, that he wrote of his experiences in, well, with the drug gangs that, in New York at the, at the time. And he's with the Lord now, is David. But uh, we loved it because there was a really good mix of blacks and whites and, and a vibrancy in the worship. And uh, everybody was engaged, and uh, his, his son, Gary Wilkinson, was preaching, and he shared some wonderful experiences of what's going on in the Middle East, and preached on prayer, and there was a, a testimony from a mission trip to Taiwan, and the whole thing was just uh, an excellent experience, apart from, and every church said has weaknesses, the welcome was dire. It was absolutely dire, non-existent. We wandered into this huge lobby and we had no idea where to go and nobody welcomed us, nobody said anything. We just had to make our own way, which was bizarre. And I I, want to honour every church you've been to because they they were awesome. But as I said, they all had areas where, you know, um, there were weaknesses. But we're all the same, aren't we? We all have our weaknesses. When, When we got home... Uh, we had a wonderful message from John and Sue Sainsbury, who were here last week. 
And uh, it was a real blessing because this is what John said. He said of you that you were the warmest congregation that he had ever spoken to. Yes. Yeah. I I was thrilled. You know, I was so proud of you. I love this church. You know, we're not perfect. And I think that's one of the things that I come back with more than anything. No church has got everything. It can't have. It's impossible to have everything. But we're a family. And, and as a family, you know, when a, an outside preacher comes in and, and says that, then uh, that does my heart good. So Becky and I, you know, had, had a great time in America. We, we were very, very privileged to go, and, and we both feel that. Very privileged and very grateful for the experience. And, and there are moments where I wish you were with us. <laughs> and, and in terms of the geography, in terms of the sites, there's a picture going to come up now, and I wish you were with us. It's nothing to do with uh, the sermon. Well, I'm not really preaching this morning. I'm rambling. That was our view of the Grand Canyon. And wow, I think, is the only word that you could express. For me, that was, in terms of looking at the site, that was the biggest wow moment of the entire trip. And I wish you could have been there. Another uh, time when we wish you could have been there was at our Free Methodist General Conference. And uh, we, we've had an awesome few days there. It, it was just outstanding. The, the three bishops were on fire. And uh, not literally. <laughs> we didn't have to put them out. But they, they, they preached three evenings and the sermons were just so anointed. One uh, was love God, love people, and uh, make disciples. And Bishop Roller, who is going to come up here on a slide, in the middle there, uh, he's been re-elected for another four years as our bishop. And uh, that's Andrew and Catherine Gardner, who's also on the NLT, the National Leadership Team of the Free Methodist Church. So we were out together for a lot of the trip. And uh, he's going to be with us in May next year. So you'll see him in the flesh. In the flesh. So uh, that, was, that was nice to, to get him booked up to serve. But, you know, out of all the churches he went to, you know, Bethel in California and, and uh, Christ Redeemer in New York and Andy Stanley's Church and, and other churches that you've probably never heard of, the only time in the six and a half weeks that I was moved to tears was at the end of Bishop Roller's sermon on love people. And I, I walked to the front in the appeal afterwards, and, and just with that deep desire to love people more. And Bishop Roller, he said lots of things, but this was just one little quote. He says, we don't need new strategies from headquarters. We simply need free Methodists who are pure love drenched. Pure love Drenched. And, and I, as I walked out to the front and the tears began to flow, it was, it was like God just enveloped me in a love embrace. 
And that's the, the, the thing that I want to, to really leave with you this morning, above all things, that, that sense of this wonderful, deep love embrace of God. The, the worship was excellent. And Becky did a little clip on a tiny little camera, and it, the, the, the quality is not good. And it's not probably even the best bit of the worship but I just wanted you to have a little taste of about 3,000 people uh, worshipping together at General Conference. And so if we could show that little clip um, and maybe that spotlight. just get a sense of, you know, the passion and the energy and, and just the sense of God's presence. Uh, so the worship at, at General Conference was fantastic. And probably one of the most precious moments in the worship, we had a particular song where it was sung in different languages. There were many different nationalities there. And, uh, and then after it had been sung in different languages, and we tried to join in, uh, not very well in my case, but then we all sang together in different languages the same song. And it was awesome. It was like a little taste of heaven. And, and that, for me, that was a real highlight, a real standout experience. And then 300 people who'd been on mission trips came back on the last night. They'd been to Haiti, Costa Rica, the Dominion Republic, and Florida. And so they came back and gave testimony. And it was, it was brilliant to hear. A lady just gave testimony about, you know, before she went, she said, Lord, what should I take? What should I take with me? And she felt God directed to a pair of glasses to take with her. I presume that she's some medical background. I don't really know. She didn't say. But anyway, when she got to the, the mission trip, there was a, a man there who was having severe headaches. And he couldn't see properly by any means. So she put the eye test up. And he couldn't even see the top letter. And uh, she put the glasses on him. And he had perfect vision. And he could read right down to the E. And, you know, that obviously blessed her no end. That God had, had, had given her the right things to take. You know, as I, as I come back, I, I don't come back with any great new way of doing church. You know, I don't come back and say, you know, I've been to this church and, and they did all these things and we've got to do them. Don't come back with that, no. I don't come back with a great revelation that, that God has given me some new insight that nobody's ever known before. And uh, so I'm going to impart to you some brand new revelation from God. No. Reminds me a little bit of the, the story of the great theologian Karl Barth. And he was asked by a student if he could summarize his life's work in theology in one sentence, what would it be? And Karl Barth's reply was this. 
In the words of a song I learned at my mother's knee, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. I'm, I'm not a great theologian, and you probably already know that. Uh, but the message that I want to bring to you is very, very similar. God loves you. And he wants to give you a loving embrace. I believe that that's what God would have for every single person here this morning, that just as a general conference when I felt that loving embrace, he wants to do that for us. I had a picture when I got home of a, a wonderful embrace. It was Caleb. <laughs> we went to see Dave and Beth, and little Caleb's been saying nana, nana, nana a lot. Doesn't say granddad at all. <laughs> Pray about that. <laughs> but he, he reached out his little arms and he hugged Becky Nana. And then he hugged me, and then he hugged Becky, and then he hugged me, and then he was like, he just snuggled in, put his little head on our shoulder, and and held us very tightly, and he just kept going between the two of us. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it, to have a loving embrace? Isn't it? I'm a very tactile person, so maybe I value this more than most. (laughs) But I think whether you're tactile or not, to feel... A loving embrace is very, very special. But to feel a loving embrace from God is even more special. I want to say to you, it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. God wants to give you a loving embrace this morning. Sure, many of you are very familiar with the story of God's loving embrace and the story of the prodigal son. A father with two sons, the younger, said, give me my inheritance. He left the father's house. He squandered all the money. Wild parties, sleeping with prostitutes. And then he was penniless, hungry at rock bottom. And he said, I'm going to go home. And I'm going to say to dad, I'm sorry. And, and just make me a servant in your house. And while he was still a long way off, on his way home, the father ran and embraced him. Got a slide of a a son coming back to his father and the father embracing him. The father forgave him, accepted him, Not as a servant, but as a son. Today, however bad you feel, you can turn back and receive a loving embrace from Father God. The older son, he hadn't left home and and he didn't feel bad. And he considered him better than his brother. And when his brother came back and got the hug from the father... He was not pleased. He wasn't chuffed. He didn't feel he needed. Didn't feel it was fair. And so he refused the father's embrace. 
For years I refused the Father's embrace. And there came a moment when I was prepared to lay down my pride. <laughs> See, the, the older brother was too proud. And if you're feeling this morning, well, I'm not bad, I've not done horrendous things, then you'll miss out on the Father's embrace unless you humble yourself and recognize that you too need the embrace of a loving God. So we have this wonderful story, but we don't just have the story, we have a wonderful scene in the Bible that shows this embrace. It's of Jesus looking over Jerusalem. And the next slide shows the words that Jesus said as he was weeping over Jerusalem. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. As a boy on the farm, I, I, I was fascinated by the hen with its chicks. We had a, a number of hens, and, and I actually owned a hen. It was given to me, and, uh, and so when it had chicks, obviously it was a bit special. But I remember those times when, when the hen would, would make a, a clucking noise, but it was slightly different, slightly higher pitch, with a little bit more urgency. And, and that basically meant, chicks, come here. <laughs> chicks, come to me. There's a little bit of danger about. Come here. And the chicks would come running. And they would snuggle in. And you'd wonder, where does it fit all those chicks? <laughs> and they'd just keep snuggling in under the wings, and then they'd all be out of sight, just totally protected by the mother hen. You know, the all-powerful, all-conquering King of love, Jesus Christ, who has conquered death, says to you this morning, come and snuggle under my wings and feel my protection. You see, we don't need to fear anything. And we don't need to fear anybody. Because even death has been conquered. Isn't that awesome? As we come under Jesus' embrace, instead of fear, there is peace. There is joy. There is love. Even in the storm, his wings protect us. It might be that you're sat there saying, I, I don't believe any of this, and uh, wondering, you know, you're a skeptic. And I've been reading a book for skeptics, and I can't get Becky's Kindle to fire up, so she's going to have to help me out. Because if you're wondering why I got a pink Kindle, it's not mine. <laughs> it's one... one one of the churches that we went to was in New York, Christ the Redeemer. And uh, the, the, the senior pastor there wasn't preaching, but it was a guy called Tim Keller. And he has written a lot of stuff for those who are intellectual, for those who, who uh, want to rationalize things, who want to think things through. And he really encourages that. So he, he writes a lot for this skeptic. And I read one of his books while I've been away called Encounters with Jesus. Unexpected answers to life's biggest 
questions. I'm going to read a little bit from chapter 1. And uh, it's a great book. I encourage you to read it. The Skeptical Student. The first encounter I want to look at is a subtle but powerful one with a skeptical student. It addresses perhaps the most fundamental of all the big questions of life. Where should we look for answers to the big questions of life? And where shouldn't we look for answers? So it speaks to those who are skeptical about Christianity and also to Christians who face skepticism from those who do not believe. This encounter comes just after what has been called the prologue at the beginning of the book of John. Luke Ferry, the French philosopher, points out that this prologue was one of the turning points in the history of thought. The Greeks believed that the universe had a rational and moral order to it. And this order of nature they called the Logos. For the Greeks, the meaning of life was to contemplate and discern this order in the world. And they defined a well-lived life as one that conformed to it. The Gospel writer John deliberately borrows the Greek philosophical term logos and says this about Jesus. In the beginning was the word logos. And the logos was with God. And the logos was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And in that life was the light of all mankind. And the Logos became flesh. And dwelt among us. And we have beheld his glory. This statement fell like a thunderbolt into the world of ancient philosophers. Like the Greek philosophers. And unlike many contemporary ones. John affirms that there is a telos or purpose to our lives. Something we were made for. That we must recognize and honor in order to live life well and freely. He proclaims that the world is not just a product of blind, random forces. Its history is not a tale told by an idiot full of sounds and fury signifying nothing. But then the Bible goes on to insist that the meaning of life is not a principle or some other abstract rational structure, but a person. An individual human being who walked the earth. As Ferry notes, this claim struck philosophers as insanity. But it led to a revolution. If if Christianity was true, A well-lived life was not found primarily in philosophy or contemplation and intellectual pursuits, which would leave out most people in the world. Rather, it was found in a person to be encountered, in a relationship that could be available to anyone, anywhere, from any background. Keller goes on in that chapter to to look at Nathaniel who dismissed Jesus. Nathaniel dismissed him because he was born on the wrong side of the tracks. 
He was from Nazareth. And nothing good came out of Nazareth. It was a neighborhood that was down and out and nobody wanted to know it. But Philip persuades him to come to Jesus. And when Jesus saw Nathanael, he said, I saw you under the fig tree. We don't know what happened under that fig tree. But something happened that was so secret, so private, that Nathanael thought nobody knew. And Jesus said, I saw that. I know that. And I'm still willing to embrace you. Jesus knows your name. Jesus knows where you live. Jesus knows the secret things that nobody else knows. And he still wants to embrace you. He wants to give you that embrace of love this morning. Because Jesus knew Nathaniel, he said, you're the king of Israel. You're the Messiah. And the skeptic turns to faith and receives the embrace of a loving God. But Jesus is not merely interested in skeptics. Jesus is interested in everybody. Even the religious fanatics who want to kill Christians. When we were at Times Square, Gary Wilkinson told some amazing stories about what's happening in the Middle East. He goes out there regularly. And he shared this story of an Islamic extremist. This Islamic extremist mother converted to Christianity. And obviously this guy was in great Anger. He was livid. You know, there's a common myth, isn't there, in, in a lot of our society that all religions are basically the same and they're just different routes that lead to the same God. It, it's not true. This guy would not be livid if it was true. Basically, it's an insult to Christians and an insult to those who follow Islam to say that we are the same because we're not. So this guy decided that he was going to go and confront the pastor at the baptism. But because he comes from a culture of honour, he wanted to do it in a dignified way. So he comes to the, 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 the service and what he sees is this huge long line. So he joins the line. Halfway down the line, he's given a white robe. <laughs> he has no idea of the significance of the white robe. He presumes it must be to see the pastor, you need to wear a white robe. As he gets nearer to the front, eventually he's face to face with the pastor. And the pastor grabs him and shoves him under the water. <laughs> and says, I baptize you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he's so angry under the water. And then he's lifted out of the water. He doesn't see the pastor. He doesn't see any human being. He sees Jesus Christ. And as he looks at Jesus Christ, Jesus says to him, I died for you. 
To cut a long story short, he is following the Lord wholeheartedly. I think he's a pastor, if I remember correctly. He's the only person I've ever heard of who became a Christian after baptism. (laughs) (laughs) Becky's been reading a book called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. She keeps telling me how good it is. I started reading it, but it's on her Kindle and she keeps pinching it back. (laughs) But, you see, this guy turned away from Allah and towards Jesus and was embraced with Jesus' love. Because Jesus is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. You know, the cross is the place where Jesus stretched out his arms. He stretched them out so that he might demonstrate his love. How great is the love that the Father has lavished on us. We should be called children of God. It's lavish love, isn't it? For God so loved you that if you believe in him, you will not perish, but you will have eternal life. These are awesome words, aren't they? The words of God to us. And I I want us this morning to take this meal of remembrance that Jesus' body was broken, that his blood was shed so that he might give us that embrace. And we come by faith and receive that embrace. You might have come to church this morning not even believing. You might have come to church this morning a skeptic. And you might have lots of unanswered questions right now. But God invites you this morning to take a step of faith to come. It might be that you've wandered away and that you came this morning not feeling good enough to take this meal of remembrance. You'll never be good enough. None of us are ever good enough. They might have said, nothing in my hand I bring simply to your cross, I claim. We all need forgiveness. And if you have wandered away, then I invite you to use communion this morning as a way of coming into the Father's embrace. Of giving him your pain. See, he knows your pain. He knows your past. But he loves you. It might be that you came this morning rejoicing in all that God is doing for you right now. Well, come and receive another hug. (laughs) Come and receive the embrace of God.